Welcome to Hackstack, Advanced Training Edition, the show that gives you all the tips, tricks and advice you need to increase your productivity, lower your stress level and find ultimate purpose in life. To get the greatest understanding of what Hackstack is all about, start listening from episode number one. And now, here's your host, Coz. All right, everyone. Welcome to the show. Uh, you are listening to Hackstack. And believe it or not, this is going to be a short episode. Well, it's going to be shorter than most episodes. I know I've, I've said that before, but, but this time I mean it. Uh, the meat of this episode will be about a half hour long. And I'll have a little bit of extra credit at the end for those that are interested. Uh, but again shorter episode and I think this is probably one of the the few episodes that I think can be a standalone so if there are people that have never listened to Hackstack I can't imagine such a person but if there are people that have never listened to this show this will be an episode uh, that I think you can get a lot out of and if you were listening to uh, the previous episode, I played uh, a podcast from Shalene Johnson. She is a kind of a fitness expert and a life coach. And I'm going to continue with that theme once again and play some clips from her podcast simply because I think this topic right now when we talk about the five F's, uh, in particular, we're going to be focusing on fitness uh, for the next probably couple of episodes uh, but it's one of those those subjects that is pretty universal, right? Everyone seems to want to exercise or think they should exercise, come up with excuses, they never get around to it. So it's a pretty common theme in people's lives. And because of that, that's why I want to play it. I think uh, a lot of value can be derived uh, from this particular episode. So she's going to talk a lot about you know instant gratification versus long-term benefit, uh, habit formation and triggers, uh, a lot of things that we've talked about in depth here on past episodes of Hackstack in particular, the first, I don't know, maybe six episodes of Hackstack uh, really break that down for you guys. And if you haven't listened to those, that's okay. Uh, listen to this episode, see what you can get out of it. Hopefully you will hear some things that will resonate with you and maybe uh, push you a little bit closer to taking some action in your life. And for those of you that are Hackstack fans and familiar with the show, She's going to cover one topic in here. Uh, she'll mention it, and I want you to try and look out for it and try and guess what that topic is. It's a very critical uh, topic that I mention time and time again. So keep an ear open for that and just see if you can guess it. And after the clip, I will reveal the answer to that, and we'll kind of take it from there. All right, so here it is. Enjoy this and hope you get something out of it. Thanks. I'm going to help those of you who hate exercise or know someone who hates exercise. So if you're like, I love exercise, y'all don't need to stay unless you want some ways to help someone in your life who doesn't love exercise. If you hate exercise, this is for you. Today, I'm speaking directly to those of you who don't love it but kind of wish you did love exercise. My name is Shalene Johnson. I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I'm the creator of countless exercise DVDs, which is kind of weird that I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records for having done the most exercise videos. But let me just say this. What's weird about that is that I didn't always love exercise. 
And I wouldn't say like that's my mission in life is to get everybody to be super fit. My mission in life is to help people just feel better and be better and be happier. So exercise, in my opinion, is like the ultimate drug for feeling that. And I think most of you know that we should be exercising. Duh, we know. It's like telling a smoker, do you know you shouldn't be smoking? Do you know it's bad for you? Of course they know it's bad for them. Hello, they weren't born under a rock. But why is it the things that we know are good for us, we don't always do? Why is it that some people freaking love exercise and you don't get them? You don't understand it. You think they're freaks of nature. Who are these crazy people that love to exercise and they do it every day and they don't feel tortured by it. They actually look forward to it. Who are these people? Do they have different DNA than you? Are they different in some way? Is it that they just, it comes easy for them? Why is it that some people love exercise and some people hate it? Well, the truth of the matter is, I believe there are a couple of reasons why this happens. I'm going to mention a few of them here. But specifically, I want to talk to you today about how you can learn to love it. Because it is possible. So I can prove it. I can prove it. So if you're very serious and you really do wish that you loved exercise or you want to share this with somebody who like doesn't love exercise and doesn't get it and you want to help them get it, I promise you that this is going to help because I can prove anybody can fall in love with exercise. It's true. I think some reasons why people don't love exercise is they associate it with an outcome that's unrealistic. In other words, the reason why they love exercise is for the wrong reasons or the reason why they think they need to exercise is for the wrong reasons. If you've approached exercise as something that you do solely to lose weight, you will be disappointed because you're not going to lose weight every time you exercise. That's one reason why people are like, well, it didn't work for me. It was disappointing. It was hard. I got sweaty and it didn't work for me. If you've approached exercise as something that you have to do because you've been quote unquote bad, like, well, I had a bad meal or I've gained weight. So therefore I should exercise again. It's you're going to associate it with a negative outcome. You associate it with being bad or you associate it with not being good enough or you associate it with, well, I need to change myself. And so therefore I should exercise. The other reason why some people don't enjoy exercise is because of very negative early childhood experience. Oftentimes, like around middle school or maybe even elementary school, if you struggled with your weight, if you were uncoordinated or unfit or just not athletic, then you might associate exercise as a negative. So when all the kids were picking teams for dodgeball and you were the last picked or you had a difficult time performing or you just weren't good at it, then you tend to start as an early childhood experience trying to avoid anything that has to do with something physical, which we then associate with exercise. And so then there's a, this negative connotation, which is like, okay, well, exercise, that made me feel bad about myself. And so that's why I don't enjoy exercise. And we'll just get this out of the way. That exercise, don't even debate me on this one because I'll win. I will win because it's science. I can prove it. You are smarter when you exercise. You are more creative. You are kinder. You are nicer. You are more patient. You feel more confident. You feel more sexually desirable to your spouse, which means you are therefore having more intimate relationships with the person you should be having an intimate relationship with. You feel more energy when you exercise. You sleep better when you exercise. Um, Hello, you live longer when you exercise. You 
are able to feel stronger and more confident. Exercise helps to diminish the side effects of foggy brain. Exercise we know can help fight every disease known to man, pretty much. So then, knowing all of these positives, oh, and by the way, did I mention it's free and it makes you look better? Did I mention that? Did I? So why in the world don't we do it? I can tell you why. Are you ready for this? Because I'm going to make you crave exercise. First of all, you have to focus on the fact that we do things for gratification, right? So the person who's a smoker, they're smoking because not because it's bad for them, but because it's instant gratification, right? So if we focus on, okay, well, what's the instant gratification of exercise? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not six-pack abs because y'all, you don't ever instantly get six-pack abs. So wrong expectation to think that you're going to have an amazing body from exercise. It might not happen. It is wrong to expect that instantly you're going to lose weight. I've exercised all week and I can't imagine why I haven't lost any weight. Some people do, some people don't. It depends on a lot of other things, including what you put in your mouth. That's why we do things. That's why we crave certain things. It's like it feels good. It gives us instant gratification. So those people who exercise every day, those people that you call quote unquote freaks, they get instant gratification from exercise. Now, so if you're one of those fitness freaks who finds instant gratification from your workout, what it is that you get from it instantly. Yes. Yes. It makes you feel amazing. Clarity, happiness, energy, a good mood, stress release, joy, empowerment. I feel unstoppable. It gives me a buzz, self-confidence, clear thinking. I feel accomplished. I feel strong. Okay. So for those of you that don't Love exercise. I want you to write some of those words down because if you go into it for the instant reward of these things, you will get it. You will feel instantly gratified, instantly satisfied that you're getting those things. So if your goal is instead of losing weight, instead of your six pack abs or fitting into a smaller size jeans, if you write down those things, you will feel you will get gratification because you'll get it. Your exercise will deliver on those things for you. Okay, that's number one. Number two, okay, Shalene, I know that. And yes, you're right. You are right. When I've exercised, I've felt those things. But why is it it's not a habit for me? Because I would like to form that habit. Well, we have to talk about what causes people or helps people or allows us to form habits. A lot of things. The first of which is a trigger. And that's why I always tell people, try to exercise at the same time every day, especially if you're trying to develop this as a habit. Now, to my quote-unquote fitness freaks, of which I put myself in that category too, you can't stop me. In fact, I will cut you. I will find a knife and I will cut you if you try to stand in the way of my workout because that's my drug. That is how I can drive in a lot of traffic in LA and not kill someone. That's my drug. So I'm already there. So I can work out at any time of the day because it's it's already there. I'm already craving it all the time like a drug. But until you hit that spot where you're you're really craving it, we've got to work on establishing the habit of it so that you can begin to crave it. So the first thing I want you to do is set a time and the time that you exercise should be the time where you are least likely to be interrupted. Now, I know for many of you, that's at the crack of dawn before anyone else is up. Fine, do it. You have too many reasons not to. I mean, 
The list goes on and on and on of all of the reasons why you need to exercise for you. This is the best thing you can do for yourself. So you have got to set a time where it doesn't get interrupted. If you schedule it later in the day, y'all, we all know things are going to happen. And then, then your kid calls at school and you got to drive them over their science book that they forgot. And that was the hour you were going to work out. So now it's gone. Or later in the evening, something pops up. People need you. Phone calls, fires. You know how things go. So you must schedule it at a time where no one is going to interrupt you. Number two, start setting triggers. Okay. So that's the time. The trigger is something like that kind of like it reminds you, oh, this is when I do what I do. That can include things such as an alarm such as laying out your clothes the night before so that when you walk into your closet, you're like, who laid out these Lululemons in my Nikes? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I guess I'm supposed to be exercising. Start setting up things that make it conducive to your environment. In other words, make exercise easy. Create a special space where you can exercise. Join a gym. Figure out what exercise DVDs you want to try. Set up an environment where you're like, you're excited to go into that space and exercise. And maybe that space is a gym or maybe that space is your home or maybe that space is clearing out a spot in your garage and putting an exercise mat down and mirrors up it. But something that just like it gets you excited about the environment. Now, if you're working out in a cramped room that has become the storage dump all for everything in your house and the room is a downer, then you're not going to look forward. It's not conducive to doing something rewarding. You've got to find the space that makes you very excited about what you're going to do. Yeah, like if you're going to practice yoga, have a space where you have candles already arranged, your yoga mat, the lighting is right, and it feels serene. Your environment is very, very important. So make sure it's something you're looking forward to to being in. Brett and I, when we stopped making videos here in our home for Powder Blue Productions, which was the company we sold to Beachbody, it's a certification company. It's how you get certified in Pio, Insanity, TurboFire, P90X, that company. We used to film our videos here in our house. And so that giant space, it's a subterranean space, felt like work. And so even after we sold the company, I was like, this is this huge space and it's perfect for working out, but why don't I enjoy it? Because it brought up connotations for me of like work and deadlines and just mainly work. <laughs> and I wanted it to be something that made me feel like alive. And so we, when we would travel, would visit little boutique gyms and, you know, CrossFit style gyms and take pictures. And when we were at hotels, that had like a really awesome space. We would take pictures and we redid our, that space so that it's our home gym, but it's like, it's so yummy. We want to go down there and it makes me excited to be in that space and exercise. So consider your environment. The next thing is I want you to experiment because for many of you, it's the figuring out how to fit it in. So when I say experiment, you've got to find that workout that serves you. If you are forcing yourself to get through a workout because you know it's a great workout, but you freaking hate every minute of it, unless you're already a person who loves fitness, I think that's dangerous. I think you're setting yourself up for more of a negative experience. When people say, what's the workout I should start with? Start with the one that makes you feel invincible. Start with the one that you can do. Hello? I mean, there are workouts out there which shall remain nameless. I'm a fitness trainer. I'm freaking very fit. I got to tell you, I got cardio for days. My knees are good. I can do it all. But there are workouts out there that I'm like, are you kidding me with this? Right? 
who can do this? Who can do this? Like, this is torturous. I mean, there are those workouts. And I'm always like, anyone who starts with this workout is going to continue to hate exercise. Start with a workout that you're like, dang, I'm kind of good at this. I kind of enjoy this. I did it. Start with a workout where you can say somewhere in the middle of it, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm really doing this. And I feel good. Don't start with one that is so hard. You have no other experience other than failure. Very important. Then once you start with something, if it doesn't feel right and it doesn't stick, it's the wrong workout. Let me give you an example of this. It's about habit. This is a habit of mine that is so, so, so important. I believe it is the cornerstone to my success. And that is I make a daily plan. I make a plan, I create a brain dump, and then I narrow it down to like two or three things that I'm going to do that day that move me forward. And I've done this every single day of my life for like 15 years. And for the last 15 years, I've done it at the same time at the same place every single day. And that was in my driveway after teaching my fitness classes. And that was my trigger. My trigger was, oh, I'm pulling up into my driveway and I'm not going to walk inside. I'm going to turn my car off, pull up my phone and create my brain dump and then create my to-do list and then create my plan for the day. And it was so automatic and it was so easy and I looked forward to it and it felt right. And I did it like 99% of the time. It, it was the environment and the trigger. It was everything was right about it, you know? And then I stopped teaching my early morning 5.30 a.m. classes because I'm focusing on my sleep. And so I started working out at a different time and I lost my trigger. I was no longer pulling up into my driveway first thing in the morning. I was now waking up later. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll just set a new time. Now what I'll do is when I wake up, I'll make my to-do list. And I tried doing that. I tried doing it for like a couple of weeks and I'm like... I just keep forgetting. I keep getting up and brushing my teeth and doing something else first. I'm clearly, I'm not making it first thing when I wake up in my bed. That is not working. I can't give up though. So let's try something else. Okay, that was not working. I wanted it to work. It seems like it should work, but it's not working. And this is what I want you to know. You've got to experiment. So then I was like, okay, so what if I, you know, brush my teeth, do my thing in the bathroom, whatever, whatever, get dressed, go downstairs. And when Brett and I can have a cup of coffee and that's where I can make my to-do list. And I tried doing that for a couple of weeks. And it should work, but it wasn't working. It wasn't habit. I would still do it some days and not other days. And dude, I know the benefits of this list. I wanted to do it, but the triggers weren't right. The environment wasn't right. So I just kept experimenting and experimenting and experimenting. And I'm going to tell you, it took several months until I found the right environment, the right triggers, and now it works. So what are they? It kind of doesn't matter because my triggers won't be your triggers right? But I'm going to share it anyways. I put my notebook, which now is a digital notebook, at my sink. And as I'm getting ready in the morning, this is when I listen to my audiobooks. That's where I start my brain dump. And it also allows me to take my notes when I'm doing my learning here too. So now it works. Now it's just next to my sink. It becomes a visual trigger. It's literally on top of my sink. And I'm like, oh, I know what this is. Don't do anything else. Let's just make our to-do list. And it works. It's working. Yes. So I want you to experiment because you should be looking forward to this, number one. And you've got to experiment with the trigger and the reward and the workout, right? So maybe it's power walking. If you're just getting started, what could you do to make yourself look forward to it more? I know. Listen to an audiobook. 
or make just the most killer, happy, upbeat. Like, you know how you listen to a playlist and you're like, I should listen to music more often. This just made me so happy. We should be playing music in the house. This song just made me so happy. Like, imagine if you made like the ultimate playlist and you got to like, I get to look forward to listening to my ultimate playlist or this is great. When I go and walk every day, it's like I'm reading for an hour. Do you understand how much your life would change if you read a book every single day, but you're really not reading it? You're actually walking. Do you understand how you like your brain would change? You get better. You get smarter. You learn more. It's just unbelievable. And then you really start looking forward to, but you got to focus on what is my expectation for this workout? And again, I'm going to repeat, don't make it be changing your body. That's going to be a byproduct, but it won't give you that instant gratification. You will, however, find instant gratification if your goal is to experience something other than the physical side of it. Like if you say, my goal is to just feel better about myself instant gratification. My goal is to just feel stronger, instant gratification. My goal is to just feel healthier, instant gratification. My goal is to have more energy, instant gratification. And when you focus on the instant gratification, you start to look forward to it more often. Yeah, pretty cool, right? So I am going to encourage you to put these things into action. I want you to focus on what it is you want to get from the workout. And I want you to write it down on paper, like write it down on paper. And then I want you to make a list of like five things that you could experiment with. You know, well, walking is fun. You know, I took a Zumba class once and I felt really good doing that. I could do Zumba at home or I've been wanting to try this Pio workout that you've talked about, Shalene, that I can find by going to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash Pio, unshameless plug. And, you know, so I think I'll try that. But I'm here to tell you, I don't care if you do my workout or somebody else's workout. I just want you to do one that you like. You enjoy it. Set the habit of doing it at the same time every day till you get to the point where you start to no longer forcing yourself and needing a trigger. It's something you're craving all the time, right? Like that's where we want to get you. We want to get you to the place where you're craving it all the time because you crave the reward of it, the feeling it gives you. And that's possible for anyone. You guys, this is possible for anyone. I don't care what you've tried before and didn't like and the experiences you've had with exercise by changing these simple steps. I guarantee it is out there. Something that becomes your soulmate workout that can change not just your body, but everything. You can change the way you Present yourself to the world. The example that you are to your children, the way that you feel about yourself, your energy, your creativity, your productivity, everything changes when you exercise. It is the world's greatest drug and it's free and you should be doing it. Your family wants you to do it and the people that love you want you to do it. What can you do that has this many upsides and no downsides? Okay, there's one downside. You'll have to buy new workout clothes. That's fun. That's the only downside I can think of. And actually you don't have to, but I think, I think, I think I do. Okay, let me see if I can answer some of the most common reasons or quote unquote excuses that people give me for why they can't exercise. What if I don't think I produce endorphins? Like I don't feel energy when I exercise. If you don't have endorphins, if you think you don't have endorphins, it's because you haven't been using them. You see, endorphins build upon themselves. So as they say, a body emotion stays in motion. 
And when our adrenal system is fatigued and we're relying on caffeine and everything else to keep us stimulated, then yes, you do produce fewer endorphins. And the only way to get them back, my friend, is to stop getting them through these fake drinks and to actually allow your body to produce them. A lot of people say their support system makes it hard, to which I say, enough with the excuses. That's BS. That doesn't make sense to me because it's your health. It's like my support system doesn't want me to be healthy. I don't buy that. And then it's how you present it. And it's what you've allowed to be okay. That's not okay. That's like saying my support system doesn't make it easy for me to stop drinking all day long alcohol. You've allowed that then. Like you are in charge of your health, first and foremost. There's a lot of things we can't control. You can control your health, at least that piece of it. So, and then there's the person who says, Shaleen, I start an exercise program, but what if I lose motivation or, or every time I do, I lose motivation? We've already talked about that. You lose motivation typically because you've made it your goal to make fitness something you do for weight loss. Of course, you're going to lose motivation because you don't always lose weight when you exercise. You won't lose motivation if you're constantly rewarded. And that's why you've got to look at the rewards that come from exercise other than weight loss. Okay, Shaleen, what do I do if I have bad knees or every program that I've tried, I can't do it or it's too hard? How about riding a recumbent bike? There doesn't need to be programs. I mean, there are programs, but don't allow that to be your excuse because anyone can do any program. You just do it based on your current needs and just search because there's a million and one programs other than just the few that you're looking at that are probably being advertised or, you know, you see that are most popular. And those, yes, a lot of those are very, very intense and not appropriate for uh, all populations. There's millions of programs out there. So keep looking. How do you find the energy when you're waking up at night with babies? Honestly, you know, because when you've got a baby, that is the hardest time to get it done, but it's also when you need it the most. And everyone says, oh, sleep when the baby's sleeping. Yeah, maybe, but it's also when you also need to get the laundry done and return, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know any mom who's ever like, yeah, I definitely, I was sleeping when the baby was sleeping. Like, who gave us that advice? Because it doesn't work. Because there's too much to do when the baby's awake. So I say, put the baby in a stroller and go do your traveling lunges. Put the baby in a front Bjorn pack and go for a brisk walk. You know, keep the baby close to you. Just do what you have to do. But what if you're exhausted and tired after you exercise? That's how you're supposed to feel right after it. So rather than going, God, I feel exhausted and tired, change your mindset. Change the way you frame it and go, wow, I just killed it. I mean, I'm, I'm exhausted because I gave it my all. And then notice how good you feel about yourself for going so hard that you're exhausted. Because if you finish a workout and you're like, mm, I don't feel anything, you didn't go hard enough. Going that hard, depleting your energy, builds energy, but not in the moment you finish the exercise. When you finish the exercise, I want you to feel feelings of pride. During, while simultaneously feeling exhausted, I want you to feel that you've depleted all of your energy in that moment because it's true on a cellular level, your cells might have used up most of your adenosine triphosphate. Body's going to get more energy and it's crazy how that energy begets more energy. And about an hour or so later, you're going to have more energy after your recovery than you felt before your workout. But if you focus on, oh, I feel kind of tired right now and exhausted. And that must be negative. Well, then you create a negative experience from exercise where I want you to feel exhausted and think of it as a, wow, I guess I did that right. Because I'm beat right now. I like have to crawl. I have to do an elbow army crawl 
into the kitchen to get my water. And then you're like, so this must be good. And yes, it is. These are positives that you just have to learn to reframe in a positive way. Wow, I'm exhausted. I did this right. Wow, every inch of my body is sore right now. This must mean that my body is under construction. Because soreness, that's what soreness is telling you. That's your body saying, oh, by the way, we're kind of rearranging things and we're changing your composition. So total muscle soreness is such a good sign. I want you to get to the point where you get that and and you start bragging about the fact that you're sore. Like not that you're dreading that you're sore, but you're proud of the fact that you're sore, you know, and you can't help but like tell people you're like, uh, yeah. So anyways, how are you? Yeah. My butt is like so sore. My butt is so sore today. Oh my God. Like I can't even touch my abs. Oh, I got such a great workout yesterday. I can't even touch my abs. Like you're going to get to that point where you're excited. It triggers a response in your brain that like, hey, I'm changing. Like, this is good. I'm doing this right. And it's all in how we frame it. What about while pregnant? When it comes to pregnancy and exercise, I can't answer that question for you because it would be irresponsible of me to do so. You have to have clearance from your own physician. But I can tell you, I exercised right up until the day I delivered with Sierra. And Brock, I exercised right up until they put me on bed rest. And when I say exercise, I was teaching turbo kick classes. I was jumping. I was leaping. I did crazy workouts when I was pregnant because I felt terrible, terrible and depressed when I was pregnant except when I exercise. There were times when I'm like, I feel so blue. I just felt blue. And I'd never experienced those feelings before. So it was obviously very hormonal. And so if I felt blue and I'd already exercised just so that I could feel normal and regulate my own emotions and my own probably dopamine, because there is a dopamine release when we exercise, I would just do a nice slow power walk. So I'm like, oh, I'm me again. It's finding the right workout. It's doing something that still feels good, that keeps you healthy, that keeps your blood flow and your cardiovascular system strong. I mean, you can certainly still do strength training, I assume. Now I say that, but most physicians would rather you be strong for your delivery and that you be strong physically. And so if you're unsure, talk to your physician, talk to your OBGYN, get their approval, and then find a workout that allows you to continue to feel strong. Now, it's not the time to like train to be in the best shape of your life, obviously, but it's not an excuse not to stay fit and healthy. I have bad knees. So, so what? I know people without knees, and I'm not kidding, double amputees, and they'll find something to do. You can row. You can do a recumbent bike if you've got bad knees. Swimming. There's no excuse, people. There's no excuse. You deserve it. You're entitled to feel good. So whatever you think your physical limitation is, just keep searching because there's something that you can do that's going to make you feel better, and you deserve to feel better. Shalene, what's the difference between your programs? Okay, great question. Thank you for asking. PIO is flexibility, cardiovascular training, although it's moderate cardio. It's not like you're sprinting. It's moderate cardiovascular work. It's flexibility and it's strength training. You're using your own body weight. It's designed for people who don't love yoga, can't stand holding still, feel like if they do a yoga or a stretch workout that then then they have to go and run later. Then I have Shalene Extreme. Shalene Extreme is a strength training program. There's cardio in there too. There's some cardio workouts included, but at its base, its core is that it's a strength building platform where you go through different phases of building strength and it is based on science. It's periodization. So you're 
lifting a little different for each period or each phase of the workouts. And I really built that program based on the latest and greatest and most effective way to build muscle, which is what your body needs to change your metabolism. And then there's Turbo Fire. Turbo Fire is cardio. It's flat out killer cardio, shorter workouts. It involves HIIT workouts, meaning so there's intervals where you'll go for one minute as hard as you possibly can. And then you just kind of walk around and recover for 30 seconds. It's definitely takes coordination. It's an advanced program. It just is. I think Turbo Jam might be considered a little bit more of a basic program. Also kickboxing, cardiovascular program, kind of a dance element to it. Both Turbo Fire and Turbo Jam, I will tell you, you kind of need to be coordinated to do them. You don't need to be a dancer, but if you're one of those people that can't clap on the beat, neither of those programs are right for you. The key though is just try a bunch of stuff until you're like, oh, this makes me feel amazing. Even if you don't get it the first time, if you still were like, well, that was fun and I want to be able to get it. Well, then you found the right program and and maybe it's not a program. Maybe it's trying the right exercise. Maybe it's inventing your own thing. Maybe it's doing your own thing. But don't stop looking. Keep searching for your soulmate workout. This seems like an appropriate time for a shameless plug. If you want to learn more about my programs, you can find them by going to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash payo. What do I tell my mom who refuses to work out because of her fibromyalgia? You have her listen to this show. Let me be the bad guy for you. Let me do the dirty work for you. Let me be the person who convinces her. You know, here's what I think people are asking like about different exercise programs. And here's what I would say. This is my measure. And then you can answer it yourself of an excellent exercise program. Number one, the workout gets people results without getting hurt. And it makes sense from a science standpoint, not a trend standpoint. Number two, so it's an effective workout. It's an effective, safe workout that's been tested. It makes sense. Number two, killer music. Number three, killer personality of the instructor. You can call a workout a good workout if it's got two of those. If it's got two of those three, it's a good workout. It's an amazing workout if it provides all three. And it doesn't work if it only has one. Like if it's just a great workout, but the instructor is boring and the music's boring, you're probably not going to like it. That's hard to do. But if it's got all three, that's a dope workout. That's a sick workout. But remember, there's individual opinion involved there, right? So you have to like the music. You have to go, this is the kind of music I like. I took a class the other day and it was a killer workout and a killer instructor and the music was God awful, God awful. And I had a headache for like three hours after it. But there were people in the room who were like, this is my jam. And they loved all the music. So for me, it was a good workout. I wouldn't call it an amazing workout because I hated the music. But if I get all three of those, you've got an amazing workout. Is a workout before sleep a bad idea? It doesn't help sleep. We do know that because your endorphins are up pretty high. But it's also better if that's the only time you can do it. It's the lesser of two evils. I would rather you get the workout in. And then have adequate time to bring yourself back down so that you can sleep as opposed to skipping your workout. Can you still tone your body after a lot of weight loss? You sure can. But let me be very honest about the fact that skin is skin. And once it's been stretched, it's elasticity after a year of, you know, this new size, 
whatever you're left with after about a year is probably about as tight as that skin is going to get. Now, people will tell you, say you have potions and lotions, et cetera. And we're talking about like, you know, lots and lots of sagging skin, which many people struggle with after weight loss. That's there. It's skin unless it's filled with fat. But like if it's loose, you know, thin skin, that's probably not going back. So you either wear it as a badge of honor and you tuck it in your pants or you, you know, fold it and mold it, whatever you need to do, or you go and get a surgery. And I'm not here to answer that question for you, but I know a lot of people have, you know, they've made that permanent change and the skin that's hanging off them is like, it just is a reminder of what they once did to themselves and they want it gone and they go and remove it. And I say more power to you. It is a dangerous surgery, but more power to you. That's what you need to do. You do it. When are you too young for physical activity? Never. Never. I don't think that at, you know, 10, you want your kid on a bodybuilding program, but the sooner you can exercise, the better. What if I have hip dysplasia or like for that matter, what if you have any kind of lower body injury? Like there was a time when I'd injured, I can't remember what it was, but I couldn't run. I couldn't cycle. I couldn't do anything. So there's this, you can do battle ropes. That's just all upper body and it becomes cardio and strength. And it's, it's the high, right? That's what I want you to feel the high. There's still things you can do upper body. There's no, stop it with the excuses. I ain't got time. You ain't got time, except you've decided not to exercise. Pick something else. You know why you're making me mad? Because the things that people are saying, and it's not just whoever said knees or back or, you know, what about this, a hip display, you know, all the different things people said. It's not that you have an ailment. What makes me mad, the reason why it just upsets me that it upsets me to think that anyone wouldn't want the best for themselves. You know, that's all. And would stop trying, right? Like would give up and go, well, I can't do it because X, Y, Z. And it upsets me that people wouldn't think enough about themselves to keep trying and keep looking because it is something you do for you. When I used to do personal training, I had a client who was 93 years old. She could only sit in the chair when I first came to her. She was very weak and feeble. And by the time we were done, we were walking around her apartment complex. I would come home crying with tears of joy and tell my husband how inspirational this woman was. We would sit in the chair. She was a tiny, tiny little thing. She got to the point where she could curl 15-pound dumbbells and give me 15 reps. And she was such a badass. And when I first started working with her, it was just to get her legs moving. And we would sit in the chair and she would pull up her knees. So at any age, you can improve your life. At any age, you can and should improve your life unless you've given up. And unfortunately, a lot of people give up at like 40, but not you. I don't want you to give up. There's too many positives that come out of this for you. It's the cornerstone. I always tell people, if you've got a business plan that doesn't involve a health plan, it doesn't involve, you know, you taking care of your physical and mental well-being, then you've got a business plan that's going to fail. If you want, you know, to plan for your future or plan for your marriage or plan to be a great parent, it's got to include your physical and mental well-being. And I personally believe there's nothing you can do that helps your mental well-being more than improving your physical well-being. Thank you so much for letting me rant, I guess. It's only because I love you. And it's because I know from personal experience that this is possible. You can become that person 
who looks forward to exercise, who's made it a, a habit, something that you crave, something that you do without thinking about it because you love the way it makes you feel. You love what it helps you to become. Okay, and that is where I want to conclude, right? When she mentions to love exercise because of what it helps you to become. Well, what exactly does that mean? What does it help you to become? Well, let me go back to the tried and true sports analogy. So say you have a basketball player. What makes a good basketball player? Well, someone that is good at the basics, right? You need to know how to pass. You need to know how to dribble. You need to know how to rebound. It would help if you could score from both the inside and the outside, you know, shoot three-pointers. And if you can defend, like if you can do all those things, that's a well-rounded quality basketball player. Well, what, what if a player is only good at four of those five? And say one of those skills could be improved, but that player is not putting forth effort to improve that particular category. That player is then therefore not as good of a basketball player as that person has the potential to be. So I want you to use that as a little bit of motivation as to why you should exercise. It's not to fall in the trap like Shalene Johnson said, you know, just so you can look better in a bathing suit or get six-pack abs, even though both of those things could possibly happen. You want to do it so you can be the best father you possibly can be, you know, the best husband or wife that you possibly can be. And true, you can still be a really good you know, father or mother, for example, if you don't exercise, just in the same way you can be a quality basketball player and still be really bad at one area, uh, say shooting free throws, for example. If you don't practice shooting your free throws, you are not as good a player as you could be. True, that's probably not as important as being able to dribble and pass the ball, but shooting free throws is is pretty pretty important part of the game. And by the same token, you can be an amazing father. You can be a remarkable wife and mother. But why wouldn't you try to improve upon this area of your life? So yeah, neglecting your exercise is not as bad as, say, neglecting your children. But it doesn't have to be an either-or type of thing. Why can't you both pay attention to your family and pay attention to your health? And I know I hear some of you not really buying that analogy or not buying that line of thought, but I truly think that you're you're leaving, I don't know, potential on the table if this is not part of your life. Here's just another little thing to try and drive that point home. So what does not exercising look like? Well, you're going to have, you know, less energy, you're going to be a little more grumpy, and you're going to be uh, a little less friendly. And I don't know about you, but if my wife knows that I'm less friendly and more grumpy, I think on some level that's going to make me a worse husband from her perspective. And if I have low energy and I'm grumpy and I'm not that friendly, guess what? My kids are going to notice that too. And I'm not saying you have to go out there and run triathlons, but it's just something to think about, right? This goes above and beyond just exercising, right? This this is to try and make you a more well-rounded, more energetic, and a better person. So anyway, that's just something to think about. Now, uh, I, I mentioned before the clip, for those of you that listen to the show, what, what are the things that really stuck out that, that we've mentioned time and time again? Well, th- there's two things that 
that she mentioned that she does that I try to do all the time. And it's, it's what it's easy to do. It's easy not to do. And most people don't do these things and it makes such a big difference in one's life. It's kind of mind boggling to me that people don't do this more often, but it's two things. The first thing is she plans the day ahead. That's a principle from the productivity podcast and the, and the book, eat that frog. But basically if you just lay out a simple plan of what you want to accomplish in a given day, your day will go so much smoother. And if you string enough of those days together, those days turn into weeks, which turn into months. And before you know it, your life is going a lot more smoother and less stressful just because you plan the day ahead. And the other thing she mentioned, and this is actually my go-to recommendation for people. So whenever I'm trying to help someone or ever, whenever anyone asks me for any sort of quick advice on on how to get their life back on track or or more accurately you know just how to get out of a funk and how to get that sense of purpose back you know that that spring in your step I typically tell them well if if your work allows you to do this you know go for a 20 at least a 20 minute walk during your lunch break and while you're walking listen to any sort of audiobook or podcast it does so many things it gets you out of the office it lets you decompress it lets you get rid of stress by walking, uh, you get fresh air, and you fill your mind with some really good information. So much bang for your buck for just a simple 20-minute walk. So anyway, that is it for this episode. I do have some extra credit that you can listen to after uh, the outro music if you're interested. Again, it will be fitness-driven, and it specifically will talk about diet and exercise in healthy fats and all this kind of good information. And it serves as a really good prelude to the next episode, which will be concerning a, a topic that is, to me, it's <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It's the most amazing nutrition plan I have ever come across. And I'm going to talk to you about that on the next episode. All right, guys, take care. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. We hope you found a few nuggets of wisdom that you can apply to your life. Until next time, take action. Keep hacking and stacking your way to success. There is nothing wrong with your mobile device. You are venturing into deeper meaning and higher learning. It's time for extra credit. Okay, welcome to Extra Credit. I am going to play one final clip from one of the uh, Shalene Johnson podcasts. And on this podcast, she interviews a, a woman named Melissa McAllister, who, like Shalene Johnson, is a, a fitness expert and author, businesswoman. And she's actually on the show to kind of promote her book, The Made Diet, which I, I haven't read. But the reason I'm including this uh, on Hackstack is because I think it's just a really good conversation to hear two uh, well-versed fitness experts, you know, talk about diet and how that plays into, you know, a lot of the results that people want to see in their life. But they really talk about some things that I, I think people aren't aware about namely healthy fats and, and what kind of fat ratios you need in your diet, how much fat you should be eating. They also talk about intermittent fasting, which I've played around with, which is which is kind of cool. 
And one big concept that they touch on that I think is is pretty important is that typically there's no diet that's cookie cutter f- works for everyone. You always have to kind of take the information that's out there and tweak it to your own personal needs and strengths and weaknesses. But the first step in figuring out that kind of thing is just getting information and weighing the pros and cons of different approaches. And I don't think people can even begin to do that until they have some sort of baseline of information. And that's the main reason I'm playing this, just to kind of get you some exposure to some of the information that's out there. All right, enjoy, and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Melissa is an author. She is a well-known and very successful coach in the health and fitness industry. She is a multimillionaire. She is a mother of two and she's got a rocking body. She is the person who you've seen in exercise videos. She's helped other people build their businesses, but she's really devoted to just helping people figure out solutions and figure out how to transform their bodies in a way that fits with their lifestyle. So Melissa, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. And so you just released a new book. Is that right? I did. Why did you feel you needed to write this book? Well, what was happening was for many, many years, um, I was always, I guess what you would call paleo. And I had a very high protein diet. And there was a time when I decided to do a a cleanse. (laughs) Okay, so before we go to that, for those who are watching and aren't clear on what paleo is, and I know there's a million different definitions for paleo, but how would you define paleo? I believe it's a, you know, as they call it, the caveman diet, where people have um, gone back to eating um, very clean. Um, And in my personal opinion, it's a high protein diet. Okay. So the paleo diet, and we hear a lot about it, and there are variations of it. And I think everyone has like different uh, versions, if you will. And some people say you can eat this and you can't eat that. But generally speaking, it's unprocessed. It's a lot more red meat and meats. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Lots of meat. Um, bacon, even bacon, 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 but mainly unprocessed. Is that correct? Right. Right. Okay. So you were kind of eating a paleo diet and then you decided to do a cleanse. Right. First, I have to ask, why did you decide to do a cleanse? Because I had done it before. I'd done it several times. First time I did it was just, I'm such a self experimental person. (laughs) So what? Something comes out. I'm like, I've got to try it for me so I can tell other people about it. And so the first time it came out, I did it. And so I've just kind of done it um, a couple of times a year because I actually feel really good on it. Okay. So I followed. How long was that cleanse that you did? The particular one that we're talking about that caused me to write this book was um, I did it for four weeks. Okay. And and so what did you do on your cleanse? So, because when I think of a cleanse, I know this is probably old school, but because I've never done one, I remember my aunt when I was growing up doing a cleanse and it was a a purely liquid diet. So is it that kind of cleanse? No, it's it's a whole food diet. And the way that I do it is I'm vegan for for the four weeks that I do it. It's mostly just fruits and vegetables. Okay. And so what happened? Well, I felt fantastic. And during the process, because I just love to read about nutrition, I picked up a book by Dr. Perletter, who was a neurologist, and he was talking about the importance of fat in your diet and how Alzheimer's disease and all of these problems with the brain are happening because people have taken fat out of their diet. Mm -hmm. So that piqued my curiosity. So I went from that book to, uh, I'm not kidding you, probably 20 other books during this vegan cleanse that I was doing, you know, talking about fat and I, because I the cleanse decided, you were doing didn't have, um, like you weren't eating fats necessarily. 
I was, but it wasn't that high. There was a, a little bit of nuts and um, you could put some olive oil on your salad and stuff, but it wasn't near as high as what these doctors were touting you should do in order to have a very healthy brain. Okay. So you're going through this process yourself. You're feeling great, but you're starting to read science, pick up some books and articles from experts, and you're starting to understand what an important role fat plays in our diets long-term. Okay. So keep going. Okay. <laughs> so after those four weeks, I went and I had my blood work done and I decided to do what, what I, what I called a transition week. Cause I didn't want to shock my system. So from going from vegan to a high fat diet, I just kind of slowly pulled the fruits out of it and added a lot more fat for that week. And then I went four weeks on an extremely, extremely high fat diet. Um, it was probably about 75% fat. Really? Like what? what so <laughs> but like healthy fat, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay. So you're not like a, well, let's go get some cupcakes and pizza. <laughs> it's not that kind of fat. No. So healthy fats, like nuts, oils, avocados. What else? Absolutely. Um, coconuts. I do believe like grass fed beef is very good for you. So I did have, you know, red meat, um, lots of butter, believe it or not. Wow. Um, grass fed butter is, is very good for you. <laughs> I wish, I wish we had a photo so we could show people what your abs look like so that they could see <laughs> what, what like, cause to me thinking about how like your signature body part, if you will, is your abs are insane. And so to think about this person who has like an inspirational six pack consuming 75% fat in her diet, did you do that intending to just see what would happen? Exactly. I stuck to it for a month and I had my blood work done again and I compared the two and it was staggering. Tell us. Ah. <laughs> I wish I had it with me. In fact, I had my blood work done yesterday again. But what happened was my total cholesterol went up dramatically. And it, the nurse that On was the high saying, fat. Yes. Okay. My total cholesterol started off below 200, which is what's considered healthy. At the end of the four weeks of high fat, it was almost at 300. And the doctor was like, oh my gosh. But my LDL went up a little bit, but my HDL went up quite a bit. And my triglycerides went down, which was shocking to me that the the really bad part of cholesterol, which is triglycerides, went down dramatically on a high fat diet. Okay, so the average person isn't going to take their own body and their own health and experiment (laughs) the way that you have. You've done these two back to back, you know, complete change in the way that you eat. And you've got the statistics, this research in front of you. What did you conclude after that? What I realized was what everybody has been told is not true is that fat does not make you fat is I think people, I mean, I've done a lot of research on what happened in the 1950s and why they made everything anti-fat and low fat is everybody's afraid of it. And it's actually, it's, it's not the least bit fat causing. It doesn't cause obesity. They think you fat. No, not at all. Okay. So Melissa, and we didn't get to ask you, but did your weight change and how, how did your weight change and how did your body fat? Cause you know, when people talk about abs and they talk about, you know, seeing muscle tone and I, Shalene, I've got, I want to lose weight on my inner thighs. I want, can you help me shred through my midsection? How do I get rid of this on my arms? I, I always say to them, we can't do anything about a particular part. You have got right. to reduce body fat all over. So right. knowing that that's everyone's primary interest. That's our goal, whether they realize it or not. How did these two diets affect your body fat and your weight? My weight went down during the vegan diet. I dropped about 12 pounds during that month. 
And so during the transition weight, it stayed the same. And actually during the, the high fat, I dropped another two to three pounds. So I was still losing weight, which at the very beginning of the vegan, I didn't need to lose weight anyway. It's just because I was eating a lot of fruits and vegetables. So I think my calorie intake was low, I but see. my calorie intake was, was much higher during the high fat and I was still able to lose a couple of pounds. Interesting. Okay. From that point, what made you decide that you had to create your own unique variation of these things? Well, what happened was I, I think, you know, some people are on the ketogenic diet, which is where they are almost all fat. I mean, it's up to 85% fat and I was almost there. I was um, testing my ketones during this, which is just the ketones are what your body uses to burn fat for fuel. And I was really up there in those four weeks, but it's really a very hard lifestyle to live. And I realized that. And I also realized that everybody is so individual. And I'm here to tell you, if anybody tells you one diet fits everybody, they're lying to you because big round of applause. It's so true. So please, like if for people to understand, there isn't a one size fits all. There's so many factors that need to be addressed. Absolutely. Yes, all of these things are popular and and basically any diet that you stick to, if there's some form of calorie restriction involved, you're going to lose weight, which means all diets work and all diets fail eventually. So what Melissa's mission is to help people find a solution that makes them feel their best and look their best and allows them to customize it so that it fits with their lifestyle. Melissa, tell us about the Melissa made or the made diet. <laughs> uh, what it does is we really dig into how active you are and how much weight you have to lose, which okay. play huge, huge factors in uh, the amount of carbohydrates that you need in your diet. Right. So for instance, if you are a kind of person that you know has a desk job and you sit at a desk all day and then you go home, you might take a walk, but most likely you want to sit on the couch and relax. You need very few carbohydrates in order to maintain your energy levels and to maintain your weight. However, if you're a marathon runner or you do CrossFit and you're just an extremist when it comes to exercise, you need more carbohydrates than the person that sits at the desk all day. So the book breaks that down for you and helps you figure out what percentage of carbohydrates you should have in your diet. Okay. And that's really confusing for people. <laughs> I mean, it is because they, yeah. you know, again, they hear so many different things and they hear rules and they want to follow rules, but rules don't take into consideration just exactly what you've pointed out. We all have different lifestyles and different right. ways of exercising. So we have different needs. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Talk to me about intermittent fasting because that's the number one question that I'm seeing on Facebook is that people want to know about intermittent fasting. Like, is it something that women should try? Is it something that you can do long term? And if you're fasting, first of all, I'm going to ask you, back it up, Shalene. I'm going to ask you first to explain what is intermittent fasting? Intermittent fasting, just like paleo, is different things to different people. Some people will completely um, abstain from eating for a day or two days or for a weekend. Some people um, do it on and off. Some people will go up to 48 hours without eating. For me, intermittent fasting. Yeah, intermittent fasting and the most effective way to be an intermittent faster is to just cut your eating window down to eight hours a day. Okay, so what you're saying is it's not about the calories. It's deciding that you are going to consume the same number of calories, but in a shorter period of time, a window, if you will. Absolutely. The window that you find, um, now, do you say eight hours for everybody who tries the made diet or can that vary? Um, 
I would like to see you on eight, <laughs> but um, they still show that the benef- uh, women benefit at 10 hours. So if, if eight hours is too tough for you, you're still going to see benefits um, making it a 10 hour window. Love it. Okay. And what type of results have people experienced who've tried this lifestyle, if you will? I know it's called the made diet, but what I love about it is it's something you want people to maintain as a lifestyle. And what type of results have you seen? Tremendous results. I mean, I have on my website some testimonials, but what I notice people say is they feel like it's something that they could do forever, that they don't feel like they're deprived at all. Um, A lot of them have lost a lot of body fat. And that's what's most exciting to me is because it's not weight loss. Um, People are afraid too that if they eat a high fat diet, they're eating moderate amount of protein. And so their biggest, fastest concern is, oh my gosh, I'm not eating enough protein. I'm going to lose muscle. And that's just a bunch of baloney. I know you've had Darren Aline on your show and he was one of the people that really drew attention to me that you can have too much protein. It's not good for the body to have too much. It's Mm -hmm. toxic. Mm -hmm. So limited amount of carbohydrates, limited amount of protein, and then you fill the rest up with healthy fat. And wow. So it, it, I know you're, ge- you're generalizing right now. And, and I think this is one of the reasons why it's important for people to, to never assume that they really understand an eating plan by having someone else describe it. If, if you're serious about maintaining a lifestyle, do the research, buy the book, listen to the expert, understand not just the what, but the why. Right. So I love that in the book, you explain why you want people to have a moderate amount of proteins and to calm down on the protein craze and also why it's so important for us to have healthy fats. So before I go there, what I think a lot of people love that I know who've switched over to intermittent fasting is they love the fact that they feel for eight hours, like you've almost feel like, okay, I, I can't eat anymore. Like it, you know, it's a lot of food to consume in eight right. hours. So you feel right. like you're eating big meals, you're eating big portions, you're eating a lot. And that's really nice for people who have before that felt like they were depriving themselves. Right. So what about those people who are like, there's no way I can, you know, not eat breakfast first thing in the morning. You were one of those people. I remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can, uh, there is a way. Uh, I just would really um, encourage you to um, pull it back a half an hour for, you know, until you, so transition yeah, until you feel like, Oh, this is doable. And then just pull it back a little bit more until you can get to the point that hopefully you can do a fasted cardio and then eat your first meal afterwards. What is a fasted cardio and why would we want to do one? A fasted cardio is when you're um, exercising without um, eating first. Okay. And if, if you can do that first thing in the morning, that's the best because you've already gone through the 16 hours, you know, almost, you're probably at 12 hours that you haven't eaten yet. And those last four hours are the most optimal fat burning time that you have. And so to add Why? cardio on top of that. Look, what's happening in the body? Why? Your, your body has carbohydrate stores in its liver and it has it in its pancreas. And as you've slept, you've gone through all of, all of the food, you've digested all of your food, you began to go to your fat stores, which takes up to 12 hours to get there. So that's why you need to fast for 16 hours. So those last four hours are really, truly fat burning times. And if you can put some cardio in there, then you're just, you're going to have 11% body fat. (laughs) Nice. And that's, you know, that's what it's going to take sometimes if you want to see, but people talk about like, I want to see muscle tone in my arms. I want to, I want to see my abs that requires a certain level of body fat. Right. And so what percentage um, roughly is it that you recommend people are consuming of healthy fats? 
uh, I will tell you what I do. Um, I'm at 50% and I teach group exercise, you know, just a few times a week. Um, I wouldn't say I'm extreme by any means, but I do teach Pio and Turbo Kick um, a few times a week. And so it's, um, I'm at 50% fat, 35% protein and 15% carbs. And I am, I have more energy than I know what to do with. Wow. People are asking about how you calculate the percent of what you're supposed to be eating. Like, how do you calculate that? Do you break that down for people? Yeah. First, you want to start with how many calories you should have a day. If you're a sedentary person, you want between 10 and 12 calories per pound that you want to weigh. If you're an active person, it's between 12 and 15 calories per pound that you want to weigh. Okay. And and another common question I'm getting from a lot of people is that they've been told forever that in order to be burning fat and to have your body become efficient in terms of your metabolism, that when you don't eat or when you're fasting, that your metabolism slows down because it's trying to protect you. And so a lot of, a lot of people are here like, this is so confusing. I've always been told all the time to keep my metabolism revved up and to make sure that I start every day with a healthy breakfast. Yes. And you know, who's telling you that? The Kellogg company. Mm. (laughs) It's Kellogg's. Hey, tell us, tell us. I mean, go ahead, Melissa, get up (laughs) on that soapbox. Do it. It is. When you, when I drive down the freeway and I look at the, the street sign that's got McDonald's egg McMuffin telling you, you need to start your day with egg McMuffin. Why do they want you to do that? Cause they want to sell products. And it goes all the way back to the government, you know, who makes a ton of money on, you know, the farming industry. And so to push those grains and that cheap processed food on you makes them a lot of money. If you think about back in the day, way back in the day when people would get up in the morning and would go to the farms and they would work in the farms and then they would come in and have breakfast because they were breaking their fast. That's the way that we've always been. Now, all of a sudden, you know, these companies are coming out with these, you know, pop tarts and toaster strudels and telling you that you need to eat breakfast before you do anything. Um, They're just trying to make a buck off of you. That's a great point. Sonia says, I've tried intermittent fasting and I lost weight and body fat the first couple of weeks. And then I started gaining body fat. Hi, Sonia. (laughs) I think um, I I would just revisit that you were holding true to what you were doing the first couple of weeks. I mean, something might have snuck in that you've, you know, you were losing weight. So you thought you could add a few more calories or maybe you were kind of snacking throughout the day or having a couple of bites here in the morning or a little bit in the evening. But I just can't imagine that you're having such success for several weeks. Then all of a sudden it reverses all by itself. Okay, but now we've got uh, Stephanie Mosier is saying, hi, Melissa, I just want to tell you that I discovered intermittent fasting through you over a year ago, and I love it, and I recommend it, and it's changing. It's Melissa's plan, and the rest is history, she says. (laughs) That's really cool. Thank you for that, you guys. These are fun. So I'm reading your questions here live on Facebook now. Thank you for sending them our way. They said there are just a lot of people just agreeing with you and saying how much part of the reasons why we're so confused is because this message has been driven home um, by our government and, and by research funded by food companies and, and then perpetuated, unfortunately, by the health industry, myself included. You know, I have always looked at research as a way to guide people. I'm not a nutritionist. And for many years, I told everyone the same thing, like, wake up and have a healthy breakfast. And then it starts to become a psychology. So when I first started working with you and you're explaining to me how to transition onto this way of eating. I was like, I don't know if I, I think I will kill somebody if I have to wait until 10 a.m. to have breakfast because in my mind, I was hungry. 
Yeah. You know, but after, you know, transitioning in the way that you teach people how to do, and, and that's what I love. It's not like a cold turkey, but you teach people how to transition those hours. Then I realized like, oh my God, I should be eating because I, I need to eat now. And I, I haven't gotten hungry yet. Having said that, let me ask you about this. I personally do a form of the made diet, but there on days when I wake up and I feel weak and tired and hungry, I eat. So is that okay? Do you want permission? Yes, I'd like, I'd like, to, I'd like a permission slip. <laughs> uh, you, first and foremost, you will always hear me tell you to listen to your body. If something feels off, if you have that craving for that, that piece of chocolate, then go for it. Um, but generally speaking, um, I, I, of course, would love to see you um, back your breakfast off. But if you wake up and there's just something going on, um, maybe you're, you've got stress going on or something or I don't know. Yeah, um, I would you need to have something little and see if that helps. Yeah. Okay. So that's a great suggestion. It's just, you don't have to like go, okay, I'm hungry. Let's have that grand slam. Right. right? You can just see <laughs> if like eating a handful of almonds takes away that feeling. Um, another great question. A lot of people are asking, what about coffee? Oh, I, gosh, I get that all the time. Um, yeah. You should see my feed right yeah. now. There's a lot of people freaking out right now that they're going to have to give up their coffee. Right. No, absolutely not. There's, there's schools of thought. Oh, that so you don't have to give up coffee. Well, it depends on if you're talking Starbucks coffee. We're, or talking, coffee. we're talking about the made diet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, I drink black coffee um, quite a bit um, early in the morning and you are allowed a lot of um, experts in intermittent fasting say you're allowed up to 50 calories um, before you'll break the fast. So if you put a little bit of creamer in your coffee or something, as long as it doesn't equate to more than 50 calories, you should be okay. But I do okay. drink my coffee. Okay. Another person wants to know, is this safe for someone who is breastfeeding? Uh, I, no. Okay. No, I, I'm not going there. Okay. <laughs> not going there, but check with your doctor. You know, right. you do, you certainly do need a lot more fats to produce the kind of fat you need to produce breast milk. And so right. I, I think it's always best that people check with their pediatrician. Uh, um, okay. So a lot of people asking that one. That was a good one. What about um, hi, people who are hypoglycemic? Or hi, yeah. What about, uh, you know, uh, taking a look at our glycemic levels and indexing? How do you feel about yeah. that? That I, I completely get that, and um, my my photographer is actually that way, and she's had, had great success with the higher fat diet and intermittent fasting. But she every once in a while does have to put something in her system, like a little bit of peanut butter or something. And again, there's schools of thoughts that if you have um, fat, that you don't break your fast. So if you wake up in the morning and you need to have the creamer in your coffee in order to give you some sort of you know calories for your body to use, then that's okay. Somebody's asking about um, products like uh, pre-workout supplements and drinks before your first fasted workout. Yep. I have Energize uh, because it's less than 50 calories. It's like, what, 15 calories? Five, 15? So you're fine as long as it's sugar-free and there aren't any calories. So another popular question is people want to know those eight hours, do they have to be a specific eight hours? How do you know what eight hours to choose? Number one. And number two, they want to know within those eight hours, do you want them eating like every hour or, you know, how, how often do you eat within your eight yeah. hours? Those are great questions. And the first one is whatever eight hours work best for you. If you are Shalene Johnson and you love breakfast, then you're probably better off eating earlier and tapering it off in the evening. If you're the kind of person who loves to sit down and have a late dinner with your spouse, 
then you want to start a little bit later so that, because I don't want you to feel like you're depriving yourself or feeling like you're being left out. So whichever, yeah. you know, is more geared toward you and your lifestyle is the eight hours that you want to accommodate. You're just fine going to bed, eating at eight o'clock and going to bed, you know, at nine 30. Um, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, your body still have those 16 hours to go through all of the food. And the question about how often you eat, this is, um, this is a soapbox moment for me because okay. once again, I'm going against the grain and please don't eat five to six meals a day. It's just, it's silly. You have to let your body go through the natural process that it needs to go through of getting legitimately hungry. There's a reason you have hormones in your body. You're supposed to feel hungry. Then you feel satisfied and then you get hungry again. If you skip that process and you're constantly putting food in your system, insulin, ghrelin, and leptin don't do their jobs and you don't get the the hormone um, balance that you're supposed to have and you actually put on weight. And it's just, you you can't be constantly feeding your face. It's That's that's great. I love that. And and you know, again, I think one of the reasons why diets don't work for most people is it feels like such deprivation. It feels like you're denying yourself. It feels like you're being punished. And what I love about you know, this approach, and I've heard from so many people of like, I've dieted and I've tried everything. And this is the first time I actually feel like I have control and that I'm not dieting. And right. when I look at your posts on Facebook and on Instagram, I'm like, girl, there's no way you are packing in that giant plate of food. That is mixed plate. I'm like, that is not <laughs> a giant plate of food, but it explains considering how how important it is to eat a big meal because if you're eating three meals within eight hours and you're consuming yeah. all of your calories, right? It's are you eating three meals, two meals? How many meals are you eating within that eight hour window? Three. Okay. And, I, and I space them about three and a half hours apart. Okay. So those are big meals. Right. And that feels like a treat. It's amazing. <laughs> and food should be a treat. Right. So tell us about um, your thought process on fruits and vegetables. I want the majority of your diet to be vegetables. I want fruit to be a treat. I don't want you to eat it every single day. And in fact, if I can, Shaleen, if I could tell you a quick story. Um, yesterday, my daughter and I went together because she has a weird mother. And we went and we had our um, blood work done together. Oh, how, she, how, how sweet. <laughs> she, well, the ironic thing is she's vegan and I'm high fat. And so I did mine first. And of course, my, my cholesterol um, was 224, I think. But my, again, my triglycerides were super low and my HDL was super high. So I was, my ratios were, were fantastic. My blood sugar was super low. My daughter does it and her triglycerides read very high, um, very high to the point that it's, it's stressing me out. So we redid the test again. She's 19 and they read really high again. So we're going to go to a a doctor and have the test done again, but she's a vegan. And so my point to that story is you have to understand that fructose, which comes from fruit, it causes your insulin, of course, to go berserk. And they just have found study after study that it's carbohydrates that cause um, triglyceride gains and um, heart disease. It's not fat. It's now sugars and especially fructose. So I am all for fruit. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it's dessert. You know, I don't reach for a cake. I don't reach for a pie. I don't reach for a donut. I get fruit because I think yeah. it's natural. It's good for you. But to eat quite a bit of it, like my daughter does every single day, I just don't think is good for you. Mm. Well, you know, as a mother of a daughter, it's funny how they will never take the expert advice of their expert mother. <laughs> right? But what will happen is she'll read something. And she'll be like, mom, 
<laughs> you know, and you're just going to have Every to. Be, day. So interesting. I haven't. I've never heard that before. Yeah, tell me about it. Okay, so everyone and their brother is asking right now how they get their hands on your book. So where can they find the book? How much is the book priced at? And give us the lowdown. Uh, you can go to themadediet.com. So the made, M-A-D-E, diet.com. Yes. And both of my books are on there, actually. The 8-Hour Abs Diet, which is a free download. And then we have The Made Diet, which is a little bit more in depth, is um, $9.99. So what will I get with a made diet, the, you know, the book that gives us the nuts and bolts? Tell us a little bit about what we will learn and what, what's included. Uh, first off, I'm, I, I tell you the history and why, why we started off as a nation in low fat anyway. So you understand where it came from and how many holes are in that and that there was only one study done in the whole history and they've gone off that one study. So it'll, it'll be an aha moment for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I answer 15 questions, kind of like the ones you guys have been asking me today about how much fat, how much protein is fruit good for me? Why, you know, why can't I have more fruit? Um, so if where I, do I in those it? chapters, will I know how to calculate that for myself? Absolutely. Cool. Very individual. And then um, I actually have a seven day, it's called adapt to the made diet. And that diet is a very high fat diet, but I want you for a week to see what happens when you pull away the carbohydrates, you have an adequate amount of protein, but not too much. And you add a lot of fat in to see how much better you sleep. You're going to just feel your insides go like this because all of the inflammation and the bloat, yes, goes away. And you're going to feel fantastic. And what am I going to be like? What, give me an example. Are, am I getting um, recommend, recommendations on what to eat? Or are you giving us recipes? Are you giving us a meal plan for that transition? It's exactly, I mean, every meal verbatim. So, but the reason I did that, it's seven days worth of meals. So if you don't like the breakfast on day one, you can just double up on the breakfast that's on day seven. So, so give us an give- idea of what kind of meals we would see. An omelet for breakfast with a lot of vegetables. Um, I'm a big fan of a salad every single day. I think that everybody should have a lot of raw food. And then at night, it's a piece of, it could be grass fed beef, it could be chicken, it could be fish and a lot of stir fried vegetables. Love it. Very cool. Okay. Lots of people excited about this. Like people are saying, since I started working with Melissa, faster workouts have changed my game. I've got a six pack now. I never thought I could. Shalene, I love your nail color. Thank you. Um, Let's see. Love salads. So one of the more common questions I'm seeing is people asking, so I can't do the made diet and continue to be vegan. Yes, you can. You know, I even I addressed that in the book. Um, you are the expert on your protein sources. Okay. And the most, and the most ha- healthy um, fats are plant-based. So um, you absolutely can. Your daughter should try this diet. <laughs> oh, <I've tried. laughs> no, no, <Try>. seriously. They, <laughs> listen, they don't need to listen to us. They need to figure this stuff out themselves. She's by texting me right now. Mom! <laughs> Okay. I love this. So, um, what about macros? That's what we mentioned before is, um, that the whole book will break that down for you. And I tell you that for me, it's 50, 35, 15, but I get a little bit more protein because of my body weight strength training through Pio and, um, you know, a lot of fat and not a lot of carbs because I'm just not, I'm not a runner. I'm not crazy. So you will learn your macros for each you start off with how many carbohydrates you should have. Then we figure out your protein and then you fill the rest with fat. 
I love it. A few people are asking about Shakeology or their protein drink. Like, do you recommend that people continue with their favorite protein powders? Yes, I drink Shakeology every day. And that's probably one of the top questions I get. And it hurts my heart when people say, do I have to stop drinking Shakeology because it's so high in carbohydrates? It's 15 grams. Please don't be carbohydrate afraid. And with Shakeology, you get, you you guys know this, you get so much nutrition in, in such a dense amount of calories. I just, I drink it every single day and I still get two full servings of vegetables and I still stay within 15%. This is great. Well, I I really, you know, what I love about this is aside from the fact that I appreciate the knowledge, I appreciate how personal it became for you and and that you would go through such great extents and great links to test and to follow your blood work and to work with so many people and to follow those case studies and and to actually not just say, okay, here's what everybody needs to do, but to teach people how to customize it and make it something they can maintain for life. Because I think... Personally, I believe that anything that you are like counting down the days for it to be over, mark my words, you will not have lasting success. If you're like, okay, it's day 19, I only have a couple days left. I I promise you will put that weight back on because that's a diet and you really want to have a diet versus going on a diet. And the made diet is about having a diet. It's a beautiful thing. So I want to honor you for doing the research and for including so many different walks of life and taking all of that into consideration, including people who prefer for you know, maybe their own ethical reasons to remain vegan. But I also want to say, I think it's so cool when people understand that, yeah, there's lots of experts out there, but if there's enough people confused and if you're confused and if you found a solution, then you should share your expertise. And it's been great to see this, you know, we've known each other for a long time, Um, but it's great to see you kind of step into this area of expertise and to become um, so passionate about helping people find a solution that works, a long-term solution. Thank you. Pretty cool. So you guys, if if you want to get your copy, you can get it today by going to themadediet.com. As Melissa said, you'll see um, her free download there too. But what we've been talking about today, if you want to know the specifics of how to do this for you, the actual diet plan, uh, meaning like what you would eat, the recipes, all of that spelled out for you in that seven-day transition, that is in her new book, The Made Diet. So I just want to make sure people are clear on that distinction. But um, Melissa, it has been fantastic. Do you mind if I take just a few quick questions? No, not at all. Okay, cool. Because they're coming in still. How does juicing fit into this equation? (laughs) I know that laugh. (laughs) Don't do it. Uh, You know, all you're doing, you're extracting um, pretty much the sugars out of the fruits and vegetables when you juice. So you're, you're taking the best stuff out of juicing and just drinking the, the sugar part of the fruits and vegetables. If you can't eat it raw, then, um, it's, it's not a sales pitch, but find a, a product like Shakeology that, that has free dried, freeze dried the whole product in it and do that. But juicing just, it's not, the juice isn't worth the squeeze, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's become so popular because of that, um, those documentaries. Did you, have you seen yeah. any of those? You yes, know what I you have. need to do? Hmm. You Make need to do a documentary. You do. Let's do okay. this. Okay. <laughs> That'd be fun. Hey, yes, a couple it, more. Is it dairy-free? And is it good for men? Is it dairy-free and will this work for men and women? Uh, it's not dairy-free because, like I said, I mean, I'm, I have a lot of butter. Um, I do use heavy cream on occasion. 
I, Jimmy, Jimmy Hayes Nelson, good friend of mine, and I were just having this debate. Um, I, I just don't like dairy. I don't like um, yogurt and milk. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I just, my body does so much better without it. I just, it's thick to me. It just seems like it would congest you. Um, hard cheeses are fine. Heavy cream because it's 90% fat to keep your fat intake up. And then butter's great. But other than that, I'd skip it. Okay. So that's good to know. So there's a little bit of, di- of dairy, but uh, people can customize that piece of it as well. Melissa, thank you so much.